What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by a first timer, Joe Rivera of Sporting News. Joe, good evening. How are you? Chase, I'm doing well, friend. Uh, greetings from beautiful New Jersey. Beautiful New Jersey. What is the weather like there these days? Uh, it's actually miserable today. <laughs> it's a, uh, it was gorgeous yesterday. It was uh, 77, and it really felt like it was warming up, but we're back down to the mid-40s and uh, rainy today. But uh, always, okay. always lovely pizza, pizza place-filled New Jersey. Mm, what's your go-to pizza slice? Oh, man. I usually, if I'm going to a pizza place, it's always the... Uh, one white slice, uh, no broccoli, and I get one pepperoni slice with ranch dressing. Do you have to say no broccoli? Do people just put yeah. broccoli on it? Well, yeah, you get, because usually a lot of these places in Jersey, you get, uh, they usually always have the white pie uh-huh. with the ricotta and, and everything, but then they also have the white pie without ricotta where they usually just put broccoli on it instead. What? So, uh, oh yeah, I did not yeah, know this yeah. existed. Would you yeah, like know yeah. You I know mean, I'm from Atlanta and not familiar with the New Jersey pizza cuisine. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, I, I I think the funny thing is it's actually uh, it's actually much better than it sounds. Uh, I know a lot of people scoff at broccoli, which is fine, but yes, uh, you throw some broccoli in a white slice. I, I don't I don't think Absolutely there's anything not. wrong with that. Listen, it's it's better than uh, it's better than pineapple on pizza, right? They're all bad. No, all you need on pizza <laughs> is either cheese or meat. That's it. That's all you need, folks. Don't overthink this. Um, I'm also like one of those. Um, I don't know if this is gonna be a positive or a negative, but like I love well done pizza. Sometimes I'll even get crazy and tell them to double well done it, or like take it out and then put it back in, fry that thing a little bit more. I love well done pizza. Yeah, I don't blame you. You know, I, I don't think there's any wrong way to have pizza. You know, I mean, if you like the pineapple on your pie, that's fine. I won't judge you. It's all the same. We're all part of the same family. Uh, I, I like my pizza not as crispy. I do like it a little soggier. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I don't like the, I don't like the overly crispy uh, pie pie crust because uh, then I think you just get, you get the crust which is just way too way too crunchy and and it's like eating Captain Crunch cutting up the roof of your mouth. Yeah, that's the, uh, but see, yeah, like the taste, listen, but I don't like the cuts in the mouth. I'm right there with you. <laughs> it's a hurt so good situation for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we're we could keep talking about pizza for the rest of this night, but I think the listeners would rather us uh, dive into some baseball because that is what you are an expert at, and the baseball world. Uh, some weird starts, and that's kind of where I want to focus on tonight. Is just the through ten games at small sample size theater, but team you're very close to um proximity wise um if we learned anything through 10 games it's uh the Mets better than the Yankees this year who would have uh, thought that it's a done deal the New York Mets are going to have a better 2019 season than the New York Yankees <laughs> I wouldn't go that far yet Chase but listen I think um I I love what Brody Van Wagenen did this offseason I understand trading your top prospect hurts but to get a guy like Edwin Diaz yet who hasn't been great for them granted who hasn't been great for them uh, you shore up the back end of that bullpen. You bring back Jerry's Familia. Uh, you trade. You trade away Jay Bruce, who wasn't great for them. He was either hurt or ineffective. 
You bring in Robinson Cano, who's been excellent for them. I just you can run down the moves one by one. I think Brody did a really good job there. Um, so, so I do. I've always liked their rotation. I think their three biggest questions always face the Mets with their bench depth, which Brody fixed up, their bullpen, which I think he fixed up as well. Uh, and I think health has always been the biggest one. You can't really predict health. You can't fix health one way or the other. But, yeah, I do like what the Mets did. They're a much better team. They're a much more complete team um, than they were last year. I don't know if they'll be better at the Yankees than the Yankees at the end of the day. But to this point, they've looked legit. They certainly have looked legit. What's going on with the Yankees? Is it just injuries? Yeah, I think injuries are a big part of it, Chase. To be honest with you, I wasn't crazy about their offseason. Um, I thought that they should have done more sooner to shore up their rotation. I, I think you look at their rotation top to bottom, and it's just loaded with question marks. CeCe Sabathia is coming back from the offseason heart surgery, but CeCe is also 37 years old now. Who knows how much he's got left in the tank? Uh, and I understand he's still a back end of the rotation guy, but who knows what he's going to be able to give you. Jay Happ is 36, and while he was pretty good for them last year, again, he's 36. I don't know how much you can count on a guy that's uh, entering the twilight of his career. James Paxton hasn't pitched 200 innings in his career, and even with the Yankee bullpen, you don't want to go to those guys too early, early in the season. So the offense is starting to come alive. They're starting to hit more home runs. That's what the team is. That's what they're built to do is is, is mash homers. So I think they'll be okay. I just think the rotation from day one, and now with the Luis Severino news uh, that he's going to be out probably until around the all-star break, chances are maybe after the all-star break with the lat injury, I just think there were too many question marks top to bottom, and, and they didn't do enough to try and fix that up early on. The good thing for them is they have time, and also the Red Sox have been worse. So it's yes. it's nice when the Red Sox are a dumpster fire and the attention is not <laughs> really on them because they're playing 500 baseball. But, I mean, they deserve some flack because um, I didn't even really consider just the age of the rotation being something of a major concern for them. More, My thing was just relying on Troy Tulowitzki. And, I mean, Anduar's injury is brutal for them. But... Like, this is why you sign Manny Machado. This is why you sign those guys. Is It's better to have those guys around for the long haul and spend that money and just, um, you're the Yankees. And there was just some, there was a little bit of cheapness. It wasn't as bad as like the Red Sox just not addressing their bullpen this offseason and not just bringing back Kimbrell and not doing what they just should have done. But um, I don't know. I, I think there's no quick fix here on the left side of that infield. Um, thankfully, um, the Braves have a 36% fa- uh chance of making the playoffs as Fangraphs is reporting right now. So Josh Donaldson can be their second half guy um, to fulfill his destiny as a great third baseman for a, a, another great memorable <laughs> another New York thing. Yankees postseason run. So get, they, there's help on the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think what makes it even worse Chase, is, is you look at the fact that a lot of these players are signing extensions, right? And I think it ties in with the Yankees because they said, they want to keep the money in house and they eventually, you know, they got to pay judge at some point. They're going to have to pay Didi, Who's a free agent after the season. We'll see what they do there. So they're not going out. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, they, they've seen a determination to keep their guys. Uh, and I think that them not spending money on a Machado and a Harper is kind of indicative of that. But when you consider a lot of these deals that guys are signing, the extensions that guys are signing, Ronald Acuna, uh, making a hundred million dollars. I mean, that's, that's a team friendly deal. And you just look around baseball and a lot of these extensions are just very team friendly and they're a lot cheaper than you'd expect. So I don't understand why the Yankees didn't go out and sign a, uh, sign a, a Machado or a Harper who would have helped this team exponentially. And they probably would have still had money left over to give extensions to the guys that they really wanted to give. So yeah, I think it all ties in. It makes it interesting, especially with the state of free agency and how bad it's gotten over the last year or two. And I just, I really do think, even though a lot of those moves on paper for the Yankees look good, signing Adovino, bringing back Britain, a lot of, I, I think their offseason, they, they really didn't address the, the key issues. And I think that they really needed to get one of the two stars that were on the market. Can they fix it over the next couple of months? Or are they just going to have to ride this out with the team they have? I think I think as it goes, this is just this is the team. I, I don't see now where the reinforcements are coming from. Um, you know, maybe a Madison Bumgarner will hit the market. Who knows? I mean, that's that's a tough projection to make. Uh, I know they flirted with Michael Fulmer and the Tigers in the past, but Fulmer's out with the, with the Tommy John surgery now, so you can't go there. 
it's, it's a tough market to try and figure out. Um, I, and I don't think that they're going to be the only ones. We'll see what the state of the national league is. And a lot of those teams are figured to be in it. So you can't really look to the NL for help for, for trade help or, and there's not really a lot of reinforcements coming by way of their farm system, which everybody that's pretty much going to be an impact guy for the Yankees are up on the team now. So there's not going to be uh, help from, from the minor leagues for them. So it's, it's tough to project it now, Chase. I think uh, Cashman's always got something up his sleeve. We've seen that in years past, but uh, I think that this is the team that they're going to have to stick it out with for the, for the foreseeable future. Are we sure Clint Frazier can't play third base? <laughs> You know, it's funny. I actually, uh, I, I questioned, I asked, excuse me, I asked that question last season. I think he's athletic enough to do it. It would certainly solve a lot of their problems, but it's an entirely new position for him. Uh, he came up with Cleveland as a center fielder. The Yankees moved him over to left field where he had some struggles defensively. So maybe he's not the type of player. Uh, and it's a lot to ask of a guy. Maybe he's not the type of player to just be able to smoothly transition over to another position. I would love to see him take some reps at third base. I think it makes a lot of sense, but uh, it's also not fantasy baseball. It's not MVP baseball or MLB the show where you can just stick these guys and expect them to play well. So uh, I do think his bat plays wherever you put him. Uh, if he can continue on the way he's playing now, he's hit 500 pretty much since he's come up. So uh, I don't think that that's in their future, but it would be an interesting experiment to try if the Yankees get desperate. What is the make? What is making the uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers click so well so fast this season? That's a great question, Chase. You know, there, I, I discounted the Dodgers the last two seasons, and and we see how it ended for them, obviously. But still, coming out of the National League, which is really good, uh, I think that Cody Bellinger is a lot of it right now. He's been on a tear. He he's made some adjustments going back to his 2017 swing. He's kind of closed it up a little bit, less movement in his swing, which I think helps helps him a lot. Corey Seager coming back has been very good for them too. A lot of people seem to forget how good of a player Corey Seager is when he's on. He could be a top 10 player in the National League. Uh, and I think I just think the Dodgers have some mojo. They're a young team. Uh, they've seen a lot of failure, and I think that that sticks with a young team. And, and a young team that tasted – success or a little bit of success so early in their careers, I, I really think that helps them uh, in the future. That's one of those things that you can't quantify. So getting so close to a World Series championship the last two years and and kind of and just missing out on it entirely, I think that, that kind of fuels their fire a little bit. Some things go beyond explanation, but I think that that's part of it. What about the, the race? Blake Snell, another great performance uh, yesterday. He, this starting rotation it's it's funny how uh things work in baseball sometimes because this is the team that um <laughs> brought up the opener and they really did have a reason to do it because other teams were just like experimenting just because the rays were doing it but they really did have a severe depletion of uh starting guys and they kind of had to 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 make do and they had this great end of last year and now they're off to this hot start and a lot of it is because of both their starting rotation and Tommy Pham may never not reach base again. It's what we call the inverse <laughs> Chris Davis. Um, <laughs> and it uh, it's cool. But um, what do you make of the Rays pitching dominance um, right now and then some of their positional guys like Tommy Pham uh, breaking out? You know, I really, I love the Rays offseason. I thought they, no pun intended, I thought they hit a home run this offseason. You bring in Charlie Morton at a, at a pretty reasonable deal. Uh, and I think the rest just supplementing, you know, taking a flyer on Avisail Garcia, who just a few years ago was a pretty good ball player. So you figure that he's, he's gotten off to a very slow start, but you figure he might turn into something, one of these diamond in the rough types, uh, bringing in Yandy Diaz from Cleveland, trying to give him regular at-bats. He's been very good for them. And then you have a full season of fam, as you mentioned, and uh, Austin Meadows, who's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start, but you have a full season of both of those guys. Uh, and we know what, we know what fam is capable of when he's, when he's on. And we know Austin Meadows is a top prospect, one of the best prospects in baseball for a really long time. So we'll see if consistent at bats can get him going. And then you have also have a healthy Kevin Kiermaier, uh, who's going to be good for them as well. So yeah, I, I, I love what the Rays did this offseason. I do like their team. They're sneaky good. It's, it seems like every four or five years, the Rays have one of those teams where everything just seems to click for them, where the stars align and it all comes together. And I think that this start is exactly what they needed. 
especially with the Red Sox struggling, the Yankees 500 right now and facing major injuries. So I'm not sure if they're going to win a division. Uh, I, that's tough for me to say right now, but uh, I think that if everything comes together for them and they can keep it together this entire season, they can stay healthy. They're definitely going to be in the mix for a wild card spot at minimum. Yeah, and I think this is a team that um, it seems sustainable with their young pieces. It seems sustainable with their pitching. It just, I think they're going to be buyers, which is weird with the Rays um, being the Rays, but there's going to be no reason for this team not to not to keep this thing going and try and find a sustainable model with this group. Um, and I think what we've learned more than anything is that um, buying low on NL Central, guys, it's a great move. Tommy Pham, Austin Meadows. <laughs> Uh, Charlie Morton, um, it it just never ends there, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think uh, another big piece of the Rays, too, that he's coming back probably around the All-Star break is going to be Brent Honeywell, who was their top prospect at out 2018 rehabbing from Tommy John. But let me tell you, I am enamored with, with Honeywell. I think he's going to be so good. And having him at that top of the rotation, if he if he works his way back and if he's effective, alongside Blake Snell, alongside of Charlie Moore. And I think that that's going to do wonders for the Rays. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, the reinforcements stick together. And if, if they all come through and they all project as they should. Yeah. And I think it's going to be fun um, with this group. And also who knows the Orioles might play 500 baseball year. Who could rule that out with this group? <laughs> yeah. Uh, who knows? I, I don't, I don't know what the Orioles are. I actually put that tweet out the other, the other day. What are the Orioles, right? I, I know that they were losing to Oakland today, uh, last I looked, but yeah, I mean, you take a few games from the Yankees, uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, I, I still don't think they're going to be any good this year. I mean, obviously beware small sample sizes, but, uh, they're doing it in spite of Chris Davis being terrible. They're doing it in spite of having a, a terrible rotation. Uh, they're doing it in spite of having a bullpen. That's not very good. Uh, Trey Mancini's gotten off to a, a massive start. Uh, so yeah, I think the Royals are interesting. I don't think they're going to be any good, but they're certainly one of those teams that, that you look back on if you're the Yankees and you're, you're in September and you're a few games out of the AL East race and you say, we should have won those games versus the Orioles early in the year. Uh, which is why I know it's a long season, but 162 games, everyone counts in some way. And I think that that's going to be the case for some of these teams playing the Orioles now. Whatever it takes to get us to an ALCS uh, of Tampa Bay versus Cleveland, just so Rob Manfred <laughs> actually um, resigns as commissioner of Major League Baseball. Whatever we got to do, that would be that would be terrible for uh, that would be terrible for TV. That would be terrible for for ratings. Also, but yeah, it would be fantastic for fans. Anything. They they deserve nothing, and that group sucks. The way they're treating Lindor sucks. The way this is going to work for their fans sucks. So everybody. Um, I was very team twins, but they're getting off to a very lukewarm start. No, it's Tiger Mania, baby. Let's let's keep this going, <laughs> Detroit. Keep this going. Keep Cleveland out of the playoffs. Um, get them out of here. Uh, so we we've touched, we've glanced over some of the Boston stuff, but like, is there anything specific that you're really seeing outside of the bullpen that you're like, uh, is like, are they in serious jeopardy of not being able to turn this around and digging themselves too much of a hole? You know, Chase, I, I looked at the Boston team this year and, you know, obviously you mentioned the bullpen, which is their biggest glaring weakness, I think. Uh, and I think some of it too is, again, you got to go to that unquantifiable stuff. Uh, I know that you can look at their offense up and down, but does anybody think that they're going to be a 108 win uh, team again? Does anybody think they're going to be a 100 win team again? I, I don't. Uh, I look at their rotation. You look at Chris Sale, his velocity is down. Uh, maybe it's going to take him a while to get his mechanics in order. I'm not sure what really the problem with him is right now. Uh, he had a really rough day today uh, versus the Blue Jays in, in the Red Sox home opener. So, yeah, I, I think that the Red Sox have a few more issues than anybody kind of anticipated, especially early in the season by way of rotation. Just their pitching is a mess. I still like their lineup, obviously. Mookie Betts won our, uh, won our player of the year last year. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. still a great defensive player. We'll see if he can refine his offense that he had last year. And Andrew Benintendi, I think, is going to be a superstar uh, if he can continue the way that he played last season. So, you know, outside of the pitching chase, I really don't see anything that's, that's alarming, but the pitching is bad enough to drag that team down. And I think that that's been question marks since day one. It's something that they didn't really – want to reinforce in any way this offseason and you're seeing that it's uh not working not working out well for them so far 
Mariners or Tigers? Who is uh, uh, operating at a more sustainable pace right now? I think the Mariners are. I, I just see their offense. Uh, I was very critical of Jerry Depoto. I'll be the first to say it. I just think he's been given given the opportunity to reimagine or re-envision his team, whatever the word he wants to use, uh, a few different times in the last four years. And we know, all jokes aside, with all the trades that he makes and the way that he wants to build its roster. And I think that you're finally starting to see a clear direction. They, they brought in some great prospects through a few of the trades that they made uh, with the Mets and the Phillies. I think that trading for uh, Domingo Santana was a fantastic move for them. Uh, I, I think that you get him regular at bats. He can be like Nelson Cruz light. I really believe that. And I think that this team is built on power and they're built a little bit on speed too. And it looks like they're just having a lot of fun. So I think that if Oakland isn't as good, that division's still tough. If Oakland isn't as good, if the Angels continue to be bad, which I think they will be, I think that the Mariners can can kind of not maybe win that division, but maybe upset the balance a little bit and play that spoiler team down the stretch. I just don't buy the Tigers at all, especially with Fulmer out. I, I just don't see what they're going to be. I don't I don't believe in them at all. I don't see anything sexy or appealing about their team that makes you kind of open your eyes. But the Mariners, you can at least see an identity, and you can see what they're trying to be. The Phillies, they're running away from the NL East. It turns out spending money is good for your team. It helps uh, the team be better at baseball. Who would have ever thought that signing Bryce Harper, trading for Juan Segura, signing Andrew McCutcheon, you know, investing in your team um, would be a positive uh, development for your group. And Odubel Herrera is hitting. Like, everyone is basically hitting outside of JT Romuto, who's struggling out of the gate. But you, I, I would not suspect that, that will continue. And then the rotation's been a dumpster fire. And they still have, like, a plus a billion run differential. Like, Harper's hitting, like, 345. And all these dudes are just raking. Um, so Aaron Nola been dinged up and it's just, I, I think they're going to fix stuff and the rotation's not going to be this bad all year. Robertson's not going to be this bad. And, um, once their rotation gets right, you're like, Oh God, this team is, I, it's, it's, it's terrifying. And it's also like, no, good. It's weird. I, as a Braves fan, like I want the Braves to do well, but like, it's, it's very uncomfortable to kind of be like, you know, good for the Phillies. Their owner said, I'm yeah. going to spend stupid money this off season. He spent stupid money, and they're winning. That's how it should work. Yeah. The Braves at the up. Yeah, they won ninety games, and they didn't do anything. They decreased payroll. No, sorry, yeah. you deserve this. <laughs> yeah, I think that's totally fair, Chase. I think that, uh, and we're seeing it with the state of free agency. That's a discussion we could go on for hours about just the, the state of free agency, and are we witnessing the death of big name free agency? Which I think is the case. Uh, but yeah, you the Phillies went out and they kind of rebuilt their team overnight, which is kind of weird to say. They finished eight and twenty in September last year. They struggled down the stretch. They were terrible. Uh, they they got out and they went out and acquired four big bats between McCutcheon, Harper, Segura, and uh, obviously Real Muto to to kind of reinvigorate that lineup and. We're seeing it pay dividends now. So, yeah, I, I think the Phillies did a really, really good job this offseason because they didn't look at their team from last year and, and they weren't satisfied with finishing two games under 500 uh, in, the, in the first year of what, you know, a rebuild or the first year of, of what should be starting to compete. So I think the owner, the owner went out, Middleton went out there and said, yeah, let's go get Harper. Uh, it took a little longer than people expected. Uh, you signed McCutcheon, who's still a very, very good ball player even though he's not the MVP that some expect him he's to be right now. No, he's older, yeah. but he's a perfect yeah. and he's a great guy to have in your locker room. Like, is he not like the most likable dude outside of like Adam Jones and guys like that? You just want Andrew McCutcheon in your locker room. Also the Braves could have had him in right field with Nick Markakis. <laughs> God. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I really, I look at the Braves off season and I say to myself, why didn't you go out and get a Keuchel? Why didn't you go out and get a Gio Gonzalez who's pitched in that division? And he's very familiar with, the opponents in that division, uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't see how you can, and and let's not let's not get it twisted because signing Acuna is a good a good move for them, but at the same time, that doesn't fix how good this team is going to be this year. So, kind of pointing to that Acuna contract and saying, yeah, we signed him. No, that doesn't fix anything. I'm sorry. So no, it's great yeah, long term, but it's it's only yeah. great if you use those savings on other guys. Like that's the yeah. only way this works is if you use that money that you're going to have to pay Acuna that extra money 
on other guys. Like you have yeah. to actually end up spending that money elsewhere. Like say <laughs> that does not qualify. And I, God, last week was awful because it was like, see, told you so. Braves are spending. It's like, God, I, the the Kool Aid. Yeah. I just I can't deal with it. And now they had that great homestand. Like I don't think Braves fans are gonna be able to handle this full season. Like the the ups and downs. And I don't know how many are looking at just the Fangraphs playoff odds because they're they're great. They're pretty right all the time. And the Braves are in a really tough division. And the Mets are good again. And the Phillies are gonna win the division. Like go ahead and wrap that one up. Um, that's gonna yeah. happen. So then you're get you're planning for the wild card, and it's gonna be tight. I I just I have my doubts, man. But Dansby's awesome. Yeah, I, He's healthy. Love that. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And again, you can't point to a contract like Josh Donaldson and say, listen, we're giving this guy, you know, $23 million for a year. Look at, look at us. We're spending money. No, that's not the way it works. Uh, the Braves were a team that, and the NL East was a division, I should say, that it seemed that nobody really wanted to win down the stretch last year. And that's kind of the mark of young teams at times. You know, you, you fall, you hit the wall, you falter down the stretch. That's so that's to be expected. But when you go into the offseason and you say to yourself, well, these are the guys that we have in our rotation, that's just, it's just not good enough. It's not good enough for your team. And, and saying you expect to win the division after, you know, winning last year, but seeing the way that the Phillies improved and seeing the way that the, that the Nats even improved with Patrick Corbin and seeing the way that the Mets improved, uh, you know, I, I just don't buy that. I don't, if you're a Braves fan, I don't see how you can buy that. I, I just don't. It's That's a tough pill to swallow. Absolutely. Um, Joe, this has been great. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything we need to check out on SpreeNews.com that you have coming out this week? Uh, not this week. Uh, I do have my power rankings, which will be out on Monday. So that'll be the second installment of the power rankings. And I also did a few longer stories on just baseball card culture that you can find on my writer page on SportingNews.com. Oh, so you will be happy to know that uh, my bookmark that I've used for years. Um, well, I have two baseball cards that are very important to me. One, uh, my dad gave me. It's the cow. It's the Ripken um, uh, fuckface um, bat. Okay, um, love yeah. that one. I always take that wherever I'm going, and uh, if I ever need to laugh, I can pull that one out. But also, my bookmark is a Barry Bonds Ricky card from the Pirates. Wow. That, uh, wow. Is in a, okay, so. I, I love it. Uh, Barry Bonds, the best baseball player of all time. Um, Barry Bonds. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's unfair. <laughs> no. I, I, God, I don't think that's unfair. It still drives me nuts that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, it's it's one of the dumbest things in sports. But, um, yeah, no, love baseball cards, and I love the bookmark, and I, 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 I get asked a lot of, like, why is Barry Bonds a pirate, and why is that your bookmark? It's like, well, no, it's very important. I like greatness, and I like this card, and I like seeing skinny rip Barry Bonds that people just forget because they just remember San Francisco Barry and it's not like no this dude like was built like Michael Jordan LeBron James in the early 90s and he was fast and was ridiculous and was uber talented and like if he did not do allegedly do any steroids he still would have been one of the best baseball players of all time like it just yeah there's and just based on his Pirates numbers alone when you look at how his first half of his career essentially with the Pirates he was a Hall of Famer uh, just based on what he was doing then. So it's yeah. not like this guy went from, from a replacement level player, you know, allegedly taking steroids and then being an all world player. No, that's not the way it was. He was all world before uh, all the allegations came out. And I, I do agree. I, I used to disagree with you where steroid guys shouldn't be in the hall of fame, but listen, it's a part of baseball history. Uh, the hall of fame is a museum and it's unfair to single guys out for, you know, being a few of, of the, of the hundreds that were probably taking PEDs during that era. Last thing, I have to throw this out because it always cracks me up about the Barry Bond stuff. What would you guess the difference between his 2000 home run um, number was and 2001? Oh, the difference between his 2000? I'm not sure. I can't, I can't fathom a guess, to be honest 49 with you. 49 to 73. Jeez. Is that not insane? Like, we weren't just like, well, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah. big jump. <laughs> You know, I think a lot of it is you look at what was happening in the late 90s there and you realize, you know, well, maybe these numbers are here to stay. So that that's something that flies under the radar. That a lot of people don't probably don't look at it or probably weren't looking at it and saying, hey, you know, this is a this is totally normal. This is kosher. Right. I mean, he won an MVP with the, the Pirates. Actually, I think he won two MVPs with the Pirates. Um, yeah, it's just like he's he, he was great. He was rookie of the year like he would have been. Uh, just an all-time talent either way, and um, I don't know. I, I don't know why I just got on yeah. my Barry Bond soapbox, but it always bothers <laughs> me. Um, yeah. 
All right, man. Well, this has been great. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Let's uh, talk baseball again soon, man. Yeah, absolutely. You got it, Chase. Thanks for having me on, pal. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by College of Magnolias, Ryan Sterick. Ryan, good evening. How are you? Doing good, Chase. How about you? Um, that was tough. This Auburn game was um, <laughs> yeah, it was not great, especially with the with how last weekend went and just both of those wins and just how ridiculous it was. And um, it it's always annoying when uh your team goes on a really crazy run like this, and then you get you because you start off you're like ah oh, this team can't really do anything. They'll probably go down in round one or round two, and it'll be fine. Whatever, still making progress. But then you go too far. And then you're like, oh, well, we might as well just go ahead and win it, I guess. And obviously that does not happen. They lose in just um, awful fashion. And I know exactly where I was when I almost fell over, um, when I realized I was like everybody else um, <laughs> in Auburn who did not realize the foul was called before reacting and spending the next yeah. uh, 30 seconds in uh, internet infamy. Um, where were you at? Do you remember what you originally thought, felt, what happened? Yeah, so I was actually in Savannah with, with my grandparents. Uh, kind of planned a, a little vacation ahead of time, not thinking we would be you know, in the Final Four. And, uh, man, it, that, that hurt real bad. Um, you know, we had watched the last couple of games, my wife and I, at, uh, at the bars downtown in Auburn. So it was great. You know, you watch the game, you win, you go outside, you're old Timber's Corner, you're right there downtown. And, uh I don't know if we changed up the mojo or what, but it was a uh, it was tough. <laughs> yeah, and um, it was just a great story. Like I was all about Marlo Stanfield running this offense. I was all about <laughs> um, just Bryce Brown was an easy guy. Like it was just kind of crazy how good those two guys were as league guards, and they played in a very NBA friendly style. It's easy to get into. And obviously the injury last weekend was brutal and they rebounded from that, but it was always going to be tough to keep it going without him. And then, um, I, I don't know, like it was, it was just fun to see this team. Just, they take only good shots. They push. Like I just, that was my favorite thing about watching this group was just, they never stopped coming. And it was just like, Oh, they're just going to keep, they're going to keep taking good shots. They're going to hit a lot of them and they're just not going to go down. Like they're not going to give up. And it was just clear that they were just like, they were fighting for their dude and, um, to lose that way, man, it, God, it was just on the, the double dribble, the foul call, all of it. It was just, it was all terrible. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think of Auburn through the football lens and it's, Oh, Auburn's always so lucky. They kick six and the Perringer in here and, you know, all these things. And this was the opposite of that. I mean, we were not the favorites. We were the underdogs and um, we, we were there. We, we should have won. And we got the unlucky bounce this time. Um, or, you know, just the wrong call. If you want to look at it that way. But uh, yeah, I mean, this, this team has been amazing between, you know, Bruce Pearl just being the guy that he is, the kind of energy and the, the personality. Um, I mean, he, you might be a freshman on the concourse at Auburn, and you, Bruce will walk up and talk to you, and he seems like he's the nicest guy in the world. He's invested in almost everybody he talks to. So between him, I mean, the, the kind of style that his teams play, like you said, it's it's tempo, it's you know, it's pushing. You know, if, if they're not playing well, it's not going to last very long because they're going to just keep doing what they do. Um, and then this team, and it, they've been embraced by the, you know, the community and the town and, um, and they've embraced the fans back. Um, and a lot of these guys are, are available all the time to talk to. I mean, they're, they're active on social media. Um, and they're, they're really good. They're something Auburn hasn't seen in 20 years, 30 years. I mean, th- up until the tournament run, we we were kind of been talking amongst ourselves of you know is is this the, the best Auburn team we've ever had, and you kind of thought no I mean we had Charles Barkley it, it can't be that, but then you know, they kept winning and they, they go beat Kansas and they beat North Carolina, and they beat Kentucky and then you're in the Final Four, like this kind of is the best team Auburn's ever had, um, 
it, it's just been a joy to watch. And as much as you know that game against Virginia hurt, we we still love this team. Yeah. Um, so have you been able to interact with Bruce Farrell a lot? Uh, what do you, I, I know you said he's a nice guy and he talks to everybody and it's clear that he gives a shit about his dudes. Um, and just right. seeing the emotion on his face of just, you could just tell it wore on him and just not being able to, to have his guy and probably not going to have him next year. Um, either. Right. Isn't that kind of looking like it's, yeah, it's, uh, you around. know, we found out Jared Harper's going to be going to the draft, um, yeah. cause a junior, which it's never been a thing for Auburn before having players leave early to go to the NBA. But uh, with Chuma, probably who knows with him, honestly, um, with that, with that knee injury, he's not going to be able to try out. He was a borderline first round pick and we kind of saw that he's good enough to be better than that. Mm-hmm. So maybe he comes back and tries to be a lottery pick. Maybe he just decides, Hey, I'm going to get my money while I can. And if he does more power to him, um, I think he comes back. always going to be pro player in that case. I think he. I don't think he. He goes in the draft. I think he's going to stay. I. I would just the do it for Chuma stuff was great, and um, there was a good piece in the Auburn Plainsman today about um, this run. But yeah, I mean Bruce Pearl's just you could see why he's a good recruiter, why he's able to t- revitalize a program. Um, there's just something. It's kind of Caliparian where you listen to how John talks about his guys, and he gets a lot of shit because I think a lot of people. Um, just look at him and it's like it's an easy thing for Kentucky to get all these blue chippers year after year after year. But it's it part of it is just being good at it and being personable and being someone that players want to play for, that they know that you have your best interests at heart, that you're going to talk to them straight, that you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Like there's something when you listen to Calipari speak, which I did last week on the Dan Patrick show, I was like, oh, I, I get this. I, I get why guys are drawn to him. I get why guys are drawn to Bruce Pearl. Um, I, I find it interesting and I think it's an underrated aspect for a lot of these college coaches who are just selling not only the program, but themselves and selling these parents that like, yeah, I'm going to do what I can for your kid for as long as I have them. And, um, I think Bruce does a very good job of that and he comes off genuine, um, when it comes to his guys. I think that dude genuinely cares about Harper, about, Chuma about all these dudes and um I don't know I think that's something that uh I really like so I'm glad Bruce Pearl is uh leading this program but I will say I'm surprised it happened so quickly that this rise and just with what Auburn basketball was a couple years ago to see what it is now is kind of kind of wild yeah it's crazy because you know kind of going back to what you were talking about with the, how great he is at selling is the program and selling himself you know a lot of times he'll get a lot of hate and Calipari will get a lot of hate for uh, people that just see him, you know, once or twice a year, I think he comes off as like a used car salesman. He talks fast, talks a big game, but there's no way he's really like that all the time. Right. But no, I mean, he is, like I said, he, he does so much in the Auburn community. Um, part of that I mean, it, it coincides for me because I was a sophomore, I think his first year in Auburn. Um, so I've kind of gotten to see that whole progression of when he got here, there was nothing. People talk about it like it was a rebuilding job. It wasn't, it was a building job. Um, but yeah, he's, he's so invested. He, you know, he has the outlive cancer program that he does where they raise a boatload of money for cancer research. Yeah. And and it's him selling that as great of a recruiter as he is. He, he's a great fundraiser too. Um, but yeah, it, it's it really, like I said, it's amazing the kind of job he's done at Auburn. Um, and I don't think too many other people could have done it. And you talked about how fast it it came uh, came up, and it's really surprising because it really only started last year. I mean, he was recruiting well, but a lot of college basketball coaches can recruit well and it mean nothing. Right. Um, it, he got into his third year, I guess his fourth year, and the 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 team that we thought, oh, this this might be the year he turns the corner. They lost a scrimmage to Barry to open the year, and the the thought the sky was falling. There was the FBI probe. You know, two players were suspended. A coach got arrested. You lost a Barry in a scrimmage. And they were refunding season tickets. That's how bad it got at the beginning of last season. And then, they, you know, of course, they go on that run that they did last year, go win the SEC for the first time in 30 years. And then, you know, it really carried over into this year. And now it looks like they're here to stay. They're a national program. Yeah. I mean, 
Stay out of our business, FBI. You've done enough. <laughs> Let Bruce live. Um, do you think this is going to be a sustainable model? Do you think this is going to be a program that stays? I mean, we now have Buzz Williams coming into Texas A&M. Tom Crean's got the, got the dude now. He's got building block one with Edwards coming in next year. So I think Georgia, I don't think they'll, they're still a ways away. But as you can see with Tennessee, with Rick Barnes, like he, I don't think any of us saw that coming with Barnes, especially with how it ended at Texas. And he's turned them into a juggernaut. And you think about certain things, it's like, well, at least the uh, FBI guy will Wade. So he's out of there. So hopefully <laughs> that uh, uh, spells bad news for LSU basketball going forward. But um I mean, Arkansas, who knows, another wild card. But you go up and down the list and you're like, oh, well, Alabama got a good coach. They got the Buffalo guy. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of good coaches in the SEC right now. So it's going to be and tough. Like I you mean, said, you look up and down and they're everywhere. <laughs> Vanderbilt, yeah. So, I mean, it, uh, literally every program, you could you can see a world in which, oh, they're a top 20 program in a year or two. Which um, is tough. It's, yeah. So I, I don't know. And I think the SEC might be you – know, it's always a lot of big ifs and buts, but if they sustain what they're doing right now for a few more years, and you know you're going to see some of the coaches in the ACC retire, you know, Roy and Coach K, great coaches they are. As long as they're in the league, the ACC is the best conference. But the trend right now, I, I could see the SEC maybe overtaking that. Um, you know, you've got your your marquee program in Kentucky, but you know if an Auburn and a Tennessee are can, you know, top ten teams every year, you might have that. Absolutely. Um, last thing on Auburn basketball, and I want to ask you about the uh, the football team a little bit because I'm very <laughs> invested in Bo Nix mania. Um, what do you think about this upcoming recruiting class for Auburn? Is it gonna are they gonna be able to replace a lot of these dudes um, in the next year or two? It's hard to say yes to that right away, just because you know, like we've talked about, that Auburn has been so bad in the last twenty years. But this is a really good recruiting class. I mean, it's five four star guys, I think. Um, and maybe now that Jared Harper is leaving, uh, Sharif Cooper as a five-star point guard might reclassify. There's been some talk about that. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, Auburn's going to have blue chips all over the court, which is amazing. I mean, it, you know, that's never happened. Um, it, it's going to be tough because you're losing more than likely your best three players, Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, and then maybe Chuma. Um, so it, it, you can't say, oh, yeah, we're going to be just as good next year. You know, and, and unless you're Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky where you're pulling in the top t- five guys in the class, that's not going to happen. And that's something we, we've kind of talked about uh, with the College of Magnolia guys. If you're expecting Auburn to do this now, if you're saying, oh, well, they should they should be able to do this again next year, right? No. like <laughs> You don't go to Final Fours continuously unless you're one of those blue bloods. And even then – I mean, Tom Izzo, Michigan State, he's won one ring, and that was 19 years ago. You, you can't expect uh, Auburn basketball to be you know, that top Final Four team every year now. And it's easy to get spoiled with that because of the way we see football, but it, it's just not the same thing. Yeah. Um, it's really just the big thing is like you want to be in that top 25 and recruiting every year. You want to be in the mix. Like you just want to have a sustainable model where it's like, I, I want to feel like there's a chance every year that they could go to the Sweet 16 or they could have get a couple of tourney wins. They could have a good season, go 26 and 8, whatever, and uh, that be a realistic outcome every single year. Yeah, I definitely think the bar has been risen at this point. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, Auburn should be a tournament team now. Um, past that, I mean, obviously you want to go, if you need to get a tournament, you want to win. But I think the, the expectation is, you know, win a tournament game every year compete in the sec tournament and that should be enough i agree um so are you going to enjoy your last year of gus bus in auburn alabama because that's where i'm at right now i think this is it you're off the gus bus i it look man it it pains me i've been on the (laughs) gus bus for so many years now but i don't like it when a head coach who's been going back and forth on controlling the offense or controlling the defense, depending on what his background's in, and then just says, screw it. And also, all the weird smoke with Stoops and like the boosters thinking about buying him out and just how much that was going to cost to get him out of there and get a big-time coach. And just There's just too much weird stuff going on with this program that like I you would know better than me, but it certainly feels like they're just thinking about who the next guy is. Who can they get in? Unless 
Gus does something crazy, but like hiring the the twenty eight year old whiz kid from Memphis, like that's a I mean bold move. Um, and if they can recreate uh, their own, um, who was the dude? Um, I'm already blanking on the guy, uh, Darrell Henderson uh, from Memphis, yeah. who was averaging like ten yards a carry for the majority of the season. So if they can, yeah, we would definitely take that. Yes, um, especially after <laughs> last year, where um, I believe no Auburn running back averaged more than negative three point five yards per carry, which. Um, was a problem. Like it. Mm. it was the first year we didn't have a thousand yard rusher in I think a decade. God. Um, yeah, it felt like it. Um, carry on Johnson, come back. Um, yeah. it, the defense is gonna be great. Like Kevin Steele is there. You know what you have there. It, I hope he's there for life. Like the Bud Foster thing, or <laughs> just the, whatever <laughs> lifetime contract, no matter who the new head. Imagine telling that to a Clemson fan from a couple years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy, but I don't know. I just feel like. The SEC West is getting tougher. Texas A&M is going to be better. LSU's not going anywhere. I mean, Bama, obviously. I think Arkansas won't be as bad. They'll probably be a little bit better. Mississippi State, um, they're still going to be good. Like, I, I don't know. I could just – it all comes down to what happens at the quarterback spot, I feel like, where right. it, is Bo Nix going to start? Is Gus Malzahn going to ride out into the sunset with a true freshman quarterback as his la- his swan song as like his last ditch option to save his job? Because I feel like if he goes eight and four, he's out. He has to go like ten and two at bare minimum, right? I think nine and three, and it's a it's a difficult discussion depending on who those three losses are. But yeah, I mean, like you said, it's eight and four that that might be uh, when he gets the axe. But one of the things we've kind of seen since the, maybe the bowl game. Gus has started to bet on himself, which he hasn't done. He's, you know, he's the high school head coach. And as much as we Auburn fans will resent, especially the Alabama guys, you know, calling him high school, that's, that's who he is. He's a play caller. He's, he's not a CEO. There are some guys who make careers out of being great program managers and that's not really his style. That's what he's tried to be because that's, you know, that's what he's been told he needs to be. But you know, he going and getting a, a young whiz kid, like you said, in Dillingham, uh, the offensive coordinator, where we know he's not going to be calling the plays. Gus is going to be calling the plays. We know that now. There's a lot of back and forth the last few years of who's calling the plays. Is it Chip Lindsey? Is it Gus? Um, I, I think he, he knows that he has to do well this year, Gus does, and he's going to do it his way. He's not going to you know, try and appease all the boosters, which – that's impossible to do. I don't know why you would want to try to do that. Um, I think we're, if, if I had to bet, I, I think it might be Joey Gatewood at quarterback. Really? Um, kind of the bigger kid. He can run, which is, again, Auburn fans resent the fact that, oh, you have to have a mobile quarterback to run because people have been telling us that for years. But maybe it's true. I mean, we're, we're going to find out. Um, he's got all the skill in the world and you know, a little bit of passing can go a long ways. Yeah, it certainly seems coming out of the spring game that Gatewood has a good shot. Um, and you you already saw all the Cam Newton stuff right away. Like you see him come right. out. Well, anytime we get a big mobile quarterback, everybody wants to call him Cam Newton, which is the most unfair comparison any 18-year-old's going to get. Right. Like, don't let's not compare uh, 18-year-old kids to the best college quarterback of all time. Yeah, let's right. not do that. Yeah, I said it. And I'm going to keep – he went perfect. Like, he went out on top. That was it. He had a perfect season. He uh, destroyed everyone in his path. And um, I don't know. It's, it's one of the best seasons of all time. Um, oh, yeah. So, it's unfortunately, like, we only got one of them. But, yeah, Gaywood probably is – I don't know. I just – it's not uh, – maybe yeah, it's because it's, he bought into the, uh, the Bryant stuff and the Jalen Hurts stuff. Or, like, that was my guess is I was like, there's just no way Gus goes into this um, – kind of one year tryout to save his job with a true freshman or an unproven guy like Gatewood. Like I just, or whatever the 28 year old Chris Winkie 2.0. Court Sandberg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Former Phillies outfielder. Right. Like I don't, I don't think he was going to do that either, but he didn't get Bryant and it was, wasn't it pretty close between Mizzou and Auburn? Yeah. It came down pretty close. And I think Bryant probably was going to come to Auburn before all of the, you know, are we firing? Or are we keeping him? Yeah, ordeal at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is uh, no Chip Lindsey, which is dope. Um, he was uh, – that was not a fun era, I will have to say. Yeah, that, it was so weird because I, I really don't think Chip's a bad coach. I, I mean, I, I think he's probably a really good hire for Troy. Um, I just it, – it didn't mesh. And 
there were some uh, not so subtle comments that Lindsey made after he left Auburn of, oh, well, I would never hire an offensive coordinator and stand over his shoulder, but tell him he's going to call the plays. And I think that's kind of what was going on. It was, well, Gus isn't running the offense, but he's running the offense. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I think it's Gus taking over all of it himself and he's going to do it his way or he's going to fail. So we'll find out. We will um, hope for the best, um, but we shall see. Hopefully it's just fun and not anything like last year where you start off with Washington <laughs> and you're like, oh, BCS. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, BCS is out of here. Um, but that's always my first thought when they win the opener. It's like, okay, the BCS is still alive. All right. We have a call f- football playoff now. So that's, that's not a thing, but um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. We'll see what happens here uh this fall ryan i appreciate you taking the time we can go to college magnolia.com which i check out every day to catch up on all the sad news of the end of auburn's basketball season joey gatewood being the week one starter all kinds of great stuff uh but also you know we can get the hype started with lane kiffin coming in in 2020 to fulfill his destiny as <laughs> hot takes if they go 11 and 1 this year if he rebounds at uh, the powerhouse known as the florida atlantic owls in Boca Raton, Florida, <laughs> I would not rule it out. Um, I don't know. I Jerry mean, Freshwater in Auburn, Alabama. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, Lane Kiffin's my favorite coach of all time, so I, I'm 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 here for it. Either that or like June Jones. Let's get June Jones in there and just make Auburn fun. Don't care. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a big Hawaii guy, so if I could watch June Jones' offense every weekend of my life, I would gladly do that. Run and run and shoot forever, if you will. Um, Ryan, thank you so much, and talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.